VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Hamlin and the Braves have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Platinum Sombrero, brought to you, as always, by Arm- Armchair All-Americans. And before we get the fun stuff out of the way, we do have one more letter from our sponsor. It is mybookie.ag. If you like college football, and you should if you are a, a good old down-home sports fan from here in Georgia, you want to put a little money on the game, you are positive that the Georgia Bulldogs will be winning it all, go to mybookie.ag, put your money where your mouth is. It's very simple. You put in money, you win, they pay you. Very simple, very easy. And if you use our promo code BRAVES, they will match your donation up to $1,000. It's free money, folks. You go in there, you pick the lines. It is live in-game betting. If you want to bet that, say, Ronald Acuna hits another home run in the fourth inning, you can do that, and they will pay out. Show your friends how smart you are and make a little money on the side. Go to mybookie.ag. Use our promo code BRAVES and let them know that you heard it from us here at the Platinum Sombrero. Now, I would say that we've got a special guest on, but at this point, he's pretty much our third host. So, you guys have heard him. You guys all know more on the Twitter sphere. He's one of the best idea guys out there. He's one of the best prospect analyzers out there. And we love him because he is never shy with his takes. He will speak his mind. And that is Jason Waddell. And Jason... You've got something new that you need to share with everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, uh, you know, a couple blokes and I um, that, that met on the, on the Twitterverse, we've decided that uh, we were going to launch our own website, and it is called Prospects Live. We are still building it, uh, but you can follow us on Twitter at Prospects Live. We've already started to build a video library of prospects. Um, and and the main thing that, that we're looking to do is, I mean, a lot of sites are good at a lot of individual things. I really feel like no site encompasses what you would need from general scouting on prospects and then you know, also housing the fantasy side. <clears throat> and so, you know, for me, there's some tensions that we're going to play on, you know, real life rankings versus what's good for your fantasy team. 
And uh, I, I don't think anyone really plays with that tension. So that's what we're going to do while still providing uh, at the field coverage of, you know, teams, top 30 prospects. Now, just just so everybody's aware, Ralph Lifshitz, a friend of yours, friend of the program, was on with us a, a while back. Uh, he is also a yeah. member. Who else is a member? So Ralph is a member. Um, Matt Thompson from Friends with Fantasy Benefits is a, is a, is a founder. And Lance Brozdowski, who writes for a number of different sites, but uh, this guy's crushing the, uh, the prospect game. So it's the four of us. We have a fifth member. Um, but you know, there's still a non-disclosure clause on his involvement. So until we Uh get that, till we get that cleared up and he feels confident, um, we're just going to say that, you know, our fifth member is the head of Voltron. And, uh, so when the five of us come together, that's what we're going to try and do. Each one of us is going to bring, you know, our own personalities, our own individual styles to the site. Um, and it's, you know, it's really going to, for me, I want it to be a one-stop shop for anybody who's interested in prospects from getting, uh, from getting up to date on the latest scouting reports, the latest live looks, video, and then, you know, fantasy advice on them. Are you guys so going to have, exciting. you guys going to give us a t-shirt though, right? A t-shirt? Well, I don't even have a t-shirt yet. So, uh, maybe the t-shirts look pretty dope though, don't they? They sure do. And that's great marketing. I'm just saying, you you scratch our back, we give you a platinum sombrero shirt. You know, well, we might be. Can you give me one with the sleeves cut off? I don't know, but I can probably cut them off before I send it to you. That would work. That way, suns out, work. guns out, and we Florida. might have to. I tell you what, we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, infiltrating the the podcast game too. So, um, you know, one of the things exciting things that that we want to do. <clears throat> is obviously, you know, when pro- prospect rankings are what they are, I'm starting to kind of get sour on them a little bit. And and if I'm being 115% honest, they are solely published for, for clicks um, and, and maybe to stir debate. They really have no merit on anything. So, uh, pro- and, you know, scouts for the teams, they certainly do not – scout their own top 30s that's not how that's not how this works um but one thing that i think that you know attracts people to the list is it's just a quick glance and then you know it can stir debate but there really isn't much like in my opinion transparency in the list like who was responsible how close was this guy what was really the hold up uh one thing we that we want to do before we release a top 30 list and i think this is what's going to make our site different is we're going to have a podcast we're going to call it a prospect scrum, basically. So so if I'm, I'm going to be the one writing the Braves, so this is how it would work. I'm writing the Braves. Um, I'm writing their top 30. So before it's published, I have one or both of you guys come on with the rest of the Prospects Live guys, and we, we completely break down the list. But why did you put this guy here? You really think this guy's better? Are you a fucking idiot? Come on, man. <laughs> so we have this kind of prospect scrum. And then our plan is to drop the top 30 and the behind the scenes podcast on the same day. I don't think anyone's doing that. So that's just one of the many ideas that we have that, 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 that I feel like is going to set us apart. I, I love the sound of it. Quite honestly, anything to get you and Ralph on the same show together is going to be awesome. Well, we've already recorded three podcasts on the Arizona fall league. Um, it's just that Andy Singleton 
who is Ralph's partner in crime and, and, and a better editor than both of us, just happened to be on his honeymoon. From what I hear, though, Andy still was chopping up the podcast on his honeymoon, <laughs> but I haven't had word when it's like coming back as a finished product. Well, that's danger zone right there. It definitely is, you know, and uh, I mean, there's no telling what we're going to get back. It's not going to be as it's not going to sound as good as as the shit you guys are doing over here, you know, with the commercials and like the uh, all the chip carry giving me all the feels, you know, as the intro leads in. We, we're not we're, we're not that sophisticated. Oh, that you are giving me far too much credit on that. But I cannot wait for everything to get up and running now that you've teased me with a secret fifth member. I'm just going to keep going through my head who it might be. Uh, but we do have to get into some things, and we brought Jason on for a very special reason. When we brought on Ralph, it basically turned into Doc and Ralph basically blasting me over my takes and takes I was wrong about. So luckily, Jason and I are pretty much of one mind about a certain player that we will get to a little bit later. But first, uh, just a little little quick heads up for all you guys. I know you want to hear it for the day game that happened today. We are recording on Wednesday. Ronald Acuna breaks Marquise Grissom's uh Franchise record for the Braves for leadoff homers with his what was it his eighth leadoff homer of the year, twenty uh, fourth in the season, and I think we've blown by the rookie of the year debate. Uh, we were both Doc and I were both gung ho. It was going to be Juan Soto about this what about a month ago, Doc? Maybe like a month ago, like today. Yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. <laughs> and uh, there is no question now that uh, Ronald Acuna is not only going to be rookie of the year, I'm not going to be shocked if he starts pulling in some MVP votes when people start to really take a look at what he's done in the span of, he's only been leading off for like 43 games. It's not just that, it's the energy he brings to the club. I mean, they're a different team with him in the lineup. They were decent. You know, they won some games they shouldn't have. There was some guts and guile performances. I know they crapped their diaper today, but, you know, this there's got to be hope in just what this guy does. It, it's it, everywhere. It seems kind of, kind of strange to say, I mean, after such a small sample size and for as long as we've all been watching this team, but I'm not convinced that Ronald Acuna is not my favorite brave of all time already, just because of that infectious energy. And it's not just like he goes up to the plate and he does really well for himself, but like, he's just, he's a ham. You know what I mean? Like no one is having a better time than him ever. You know, he's great, great to watch hit and field. And like, he's got the sixth tool of just entertainment. You know what I mean? Like I watch these guys, him and Albies with the gold chains on and I'm sitting next to my wife and, and, and I'll be 40 in January. And I'm just thinking, God damn, these motherfuckers are just cool. I was like, look how fucking OG this dude is with his chain hanging out. (laughs) They are, man. And then you throw Camargo in that mix, and they got a ton of swag coming up with the minors too. I I think I'm ready to put him on that list of now. Freddie is an outstanding player, uh, but Freddie is a little bit more downplayed. I think he's always going to be in that Joey Votto realm where you know he's good, but you really got to dig into his numbers. Like, oh wow, he actually is better than I thought. Acuna is going to be on that that superstar type of mold where everybody's tuning in to watch him. National media loves him. He's great for the game. He's, I think he's the guy to take the place of Chipper Jones. That sounds crazy to say this early, but that's how I feel about it. Just what, what you see now, he's just got that extra something behind it, even more than Andrew did. And Andrew had it in the field, but Acuna just has this magnetism that, that you, you have to watch him. 
Well, as good as Andrew Jones was athletically, and, and Acuna will never sniff him on the defensive side of the ball ever, but as good as Andrew Jones was athletically, Acuna, I think, is a better overall athlete, and he's a much stronger and, and, and more polished hitter. Um, you know, the knock on Andrew was always, dude, you gotta go to you gotta go to the opposite field. You can't pull everything. Acuna has no problem taking you to right center. In fact, I feel like he he almost has more power to right center than he does pull side. His spray chart of home runs is, is gorgeous. It's like perfect distribution everywhere. And that to me makes me think that he's not really gonna struggle. Um, you know, to the extent that the other Braves prospects that we had anointed as the as the saviors, the way that they've struggled. I don't say I mean, he's just too polished and the bat speed is there. And, and I think that the pressure doesn't get to him. So the struggle and the grind doesn't wear on him. I mean, he, he, he seems to bounce back out of many slumps, you know, uh, fairly quickly and, and with some authority. I think he relishes the pressure, honestly. Uh, he, yeah. I don't think he enjoyed hitting in the sixth spot. I think he wants that pressure on him, and it helps him perform better. For some weird reason, he seems to relax more the more pressure that's actually on him. It's it's really, really fun to see. And even in a day like today where the bullpen pulls uh, an old bullpen and nobody seems to be able to throw a strike or to get the first batter out where uh, – you know, They pulled you, a Danny Cobb. Remember him? Yes. Danny Kolb? The and, Danny uh, Cobb years? It was uh it was Dude, they just bad. they just took the diaper and just took a big fat shit in it. It was Danny Cobb style. It was one of the most depressing ones. It's like uh if you remember when Chris Rietzma was a brave. Oh yeah, that was during the Danny Cobb years. Yes. And Rietzma will always stand out into my mind because Rietzma like we make a lot of fun of, we we poke at Sam Freeman a little bit, especially on Braves Twitter, about no lead is safe enough to bring Sam Freeman in. Chris Rietzma was that it. guy. I watched Chris Rietzma blow at least three seven-run leads, almost by himself. And um, that that's what it reminded me of today. Not one not one guy could get the first guy out. Uh, Johnny Venters gave up some inherited runs. Uh, Minter gives up a bomb, an absolute moonshot to Brandon Phillips, uh, which he pimped like crazy, and I can't blame him. I would have too because it was an absolute monster. Um, it, it was It was just a bad day for everybody. So is Braves Twitter like fucking hammered right now? Because this was a noon game, right? Are oh. they just like hammered? They're going insane. Uh, tie Are this they into- going bananas on Twitter? Because I can't do it today. I don't have the patience <laughs> to sit through it. Yes, they are. Everybody is going insane. Uh, much like uh, they were going yesterday when the same thing happened yesterday. And Jesse Biddle, unfortunately, got beat by a, a right-handed hitter. And some people who are far too smart to say these things started questioning why Jesse Biddle was brought in against a righty, despite the fact that numbers have shown throughout the season that he is your best option versus righties. But it's it it's how you know it's getting tight, man. It is uh Dude, Snicker <laughs> Snicker can't win with this crowd, man. They're not worthy of him. I like Snicker. It's one of those you things know? that you whine at him because he wasn't using Biddle against righties. He was using him as a loogie, and then despite the the analytics and the numbers bearing out, and then he uses him the way that everybody wants, and it doesn't work out, so you get the instant reaction. It's just how you know you're in a playoff hunt, man. Like People are wound yeah. tight right now. You know what? It's not just Braves fans. I was seeing uh, Jen McCaffrey had posted something from The Athletic about Boston fans losing their fucking collective minds with that enormous lead. Uh, you know, eight and a half games uh, in first that they were just losing their mind over Alex Cora's lineup. So, 
you know, the, the insanity is infecting us all. We just got to stay grounded, maybe take a couple bong rips, <laughs> do some yoga, and just fuck, just trust, just trust that you got like two OG kids and a stable of arms coming up. You know, you're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Even if you fall short this year, the amount of experience these kids are getting and learning how to win, dude, this is the process. It, you, you, you can't do it overnight. The Astros didn't. The Cubs didn't. You know, it's going to take some lumps. It's going to take it's going to take getting your ass kicked. It's going to take some tough ones to swallow like, you know, like today. But just and, trust the process. And the game back in back in April against the, the Cubs, which was actually a bigger lead that they blew, but it wasn't in the, in the heat of a pennant race when it happened. You know, and everybody could kind of see going into this series like, OK, there is a real possibility that we could get swept by the Red Sox. And that's almost okay because when you look at like total wins over the course of seasons, the Red Sox are going to have like the 10th most wins ever for any team in MLB. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of teams, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, it's, and and their fans are losing their mind too. Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, when you look at this, it, it almost like there were, almost glimpses of hope in there where Tukey threw four and a third no hit innings the other day and everybody's like, oh my God, maybe we could beat him. And then they lost. And then, you know, things gradually kind of started to unravel uh, it for, for the Tuesday game. And then today it's like 7-1 going into the eighth. Like, okay, we're not going to get swept. But then they wound up getting swept anyway. It's like if you... It's you know, almost is, a, it's a, a metaphor for the whole season where it's like if you move the goalposts, you might wind up getting disappointed. You have to go in with your preconceived notion and base the results off of that. So I interrupted you. Go ahead. Well, no, I'm just saying, you know, you this young team has a lot to learn from playing that team. You know, it's going to happen. You know, bad losses usually will will get you will sometimes right and, you know, right the ship. You know, it's, they're kind of a wake up call. So. I mean, these these guys are young. Freeman hasn't been through this in years, if ever. Marcakis, it's I don't know if Marcakis has ever been in a playoff race. Maybe back in you know ten years ago, it's it's okay. That's my thing. It's a, this is the process. You know, those guys. You see a good team. You just saw a good team never lets up. You never have them down. You got to learn from that. Learn from them. These guys are smart enough to do that. They, I think they'll be okay. You know. Plus, I don't I don't trust the Phillies so. But, you know, and the Nationals are punting, so we're I mean, we're, we're going to be fine. Handle uh, business against the East, you'll be all right. That that's the other point is is the Phillies still have to prove that they can make it through the rest of this. But speaking of prospects, uh, Tuesday, the game that Doc mentioned on Tuesday, we got to see Kyle Wright make his Braves debut, and yet another fantastic debut for one of these young guys that you, Jason, have been following for a while. When Kyle Wright came up, did you, did you see what he did to Jackie Bradley Jr.? I didn't, but I heard it was dirty. He the let me just say that the bat went on a higher arc than the pitch did, and uh, Pitching Ninja liked it so much that he put a bat path arc instead of a pitch arc. It was I love it. It was insanely filthy. It was one of those. It was one of those weird curves that Kyle Wright throws. It's not like a true hammer curve. It's it starts low. Yeah, he's in his got own. a couple. Right, he's got that. He's got more of a of an eleven to five that he'll use normally. But this was one of those that it almost looked like a slider that gained more depth than his normal slider. It was really, it was re- honestly, it was filthy. It started out low and outside, ended up low and inside. It was 
it was nasty. There, I don't blame Jackie Bradley other than the fact that he pulled his top hand so hard that he threw his bat into the uh, into the protective netting, which is always hilarious. But it was filthy. So yeah, Kyle Wright is Kyle Wright in the bullpen. It excites me because Kyle Wright can be. He's got kind of like he doesn't have the delivery, but he's got that Josh Hader stuff that. You know, he can be that Chris Davinsky, you know, type stuff where he can just dominate a team and be a weapon out of the bullpen. I mean, when he doesn't have to save bullets for five or six innings, his stuff just it's it's through the roof insanely good. So and he he's got about four or five pitches that he can throw Um, and and even narrowing it down to two. You know, he can show guys two pitches, one inning, two pitches, the next inning, two pitches, the next inning after that. And they all see something different play off that fastball. So I love the move that he's he's the bullpen guy. And I feel like toward the end of the year, you know, you're going to see him in some high leverage situations, especially in light of what happened today. And I, I still think he's a starter long term. Uh, I think the Braves obviously do, too. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taken him at seven. Uh, but. With him coming out of the pen, he has pin experience at Vandy. So that that's always a plus that he knows what it's like to get ready quick and to be ready to go. And he has enough pitches that he never has to show you all of them right away. And what I like about Kyle Wright, what makes him such a fast prospect for me, is that he has the awareness to ditch a pitch if he doesn't have the feel for it that day. So if he doesn't have the slider that day and the release point's not going well, he'll just ditch that and he'll just go to the curve and he'll use the change. Or vice versa for the curve. If the curve's not working, he'll ditch it and go slider instead. And they're all plus pitches. That's the thing. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if if one way to keep these guys next season, um, you know, all three. You know, I, I know that they'll do like the rotation, whoever's in Gwinnett, next man up stuff. But I wonder if it wouldn't also be more valuable I know they want to stretch them out as a starter, but leave some of these guys in Atlanta for the season as long guys that fill in for that spot, you know, when they want to go to the six-man rotation. I wonder if that's not if, – if they wouldn't be better served if their development uh, – and, and then, you know, they can help the team. Because at the end of the day, if you think about this when you're constructing a major league bullpen – your five starters outside of maybe your closer and maybe your eighth inning guy, if it's if it's somebody like Andrew Miller or Batances, your five starters are head and shoulders above whoever you're slotting for that bullpen. I love Daniel Winkler, but there's a reason Daniel Winkler is a reliever. Um, same with Mentor. And those guys do not have the type of stuff, I think, to consistently put dudes away at, at a at a uh, at a closer type clip. Now, if you think about like the converted starters, guys who failed as starters, their stuff usually plays up so well in the bullpen that they're not only just like, you know, dominant bullpen pieces, but they're, you know, pushing to be tops of their profession. Every single one of those guys, with the exception of Kimbrel, uh, off the top of my head, maybe Kenley Jansen were starters. At one time, Andrew Miller, Brad Hand, Chapman was groomed as a starter. So for Kyle Wright's stuff to play that way, it's like how much more of a weapon could he be if they just let the chains off and said, we're going to give you two innings here, then you're starting in three days or four days. I love know, Then it. we'll give you some time off. Then you're going to go one, two. We're going to skip you because we want to keep you for the whole year. 
but they might just want to build up the innings. And so if that's the case, then he's got to go every fifth day somewhere, either at, at, at the major leagues or at Gwinnett. It's a good pro- it's a good problem to have because you, you talk about those three with Tukey coming up again. Bryce, I don't feel the Braves did him any favors by having him intentionally walk two people. I thought that was kind of a bad idea for uh, for a rookie. But Bryce is a guy that he's always going to be somebody that you can rely on, whether as a starter or a reliever, because he just throws so many daggum strikes. Uh, Kyle Wright's another one. Soroka will be back next year. Max Freed is is toying with triple-A hitters as well. There, There's just a ton moving up, and maybe the next one to come up is a guy that you covered in the last start of the minor league season, and that is Ian Anderson, who, if I'm being quite honest, might be my most highly my, – my 180 on a prospect. I wasn't real high on him at first because of how raw he was, but goodness gracious, what he what he did this season was, was just wrong, was just bad in a good way, just – horrible what he was doing to those poor hitters it's um this this kid is nasty i was i don't want to say i was wrong on him but i was lower than i should have been on him last year he has uh he's allowed i he allowed two home runs this year which gives him a total of three since he joined the braves organization two years ago um i i never never quite saw the the appeal but i've and I think that we talked about this the very first time we had you on. I was all about Joey Lentz because every time I would watch uh, watch a Rome game, then he would dominate. But every time I'd watch Anderson, he'd look just kind of pedestrian. And then they completely flip-flopped this year. And Anderson, I mean, talk about taking massive strides forward. Some of the video that you took of his final start in Mississippi was just absolutely filthy. I mean, I, I didn't really have a good seat. I was planning on getting his entire start, but I pretty much had to select it to just a couple at bats. I mean, I got a fraction of kind of how dominant and how much swing and miss stuff he got. Um, the really the, the good thing about him is that he really throws from a downhill plane. So he was consistently with the fastball at or below the knees and getting swing swing and misses or or called strikes. And he, the changeups just come such a long way. I mean, he's throwing it with confidence. He'll throw it to right-handers. Uh, he extends the plate with it, uh, which means he he kind of forces the hitters to go outside, you know, to swing at it. He's getting some of those calls as well because he's hitting he's hitting the spot. Uh, and the curve has always been good, but he's able to elevate that fastball and change eye level when he needs to as well. And that's what he did to Monty Harrison, uh, who in theory is relatively easy to strike out and Anderson got him twice, but you know, both times he just kept elevating the fastball up and away, more up and away, more up and away. And he just swinging at it. You know, he doesn't need his hammer to generate swing and miss. And to me, that makes his fastball play up. He was sitting 93, 94, uh, but that was a heavy fastball and it had some life. Ricardo Sanchez followed him up in game two that day, was sitting 92, 93, hit 94 a couple times, and his fastball, yet the gun says the same thing, but the life and the way that the hitters responded to it were two completely different things, and Sanchez pitched pretty well that day, but it did not have that sizzle and that heaviness that, that Anderson's had, so the, the the gun is deceptive on like his stuff, and I think... Without being 100% certain, I think he's a guy that gets a pretty pretty high spin rate on the fastball. I mean, it, just, just watching the video, 
you can see all the work that he's done cleaning up everything. It's it's very there's not a lot of extra motion in his wind up or in his delivery. It's all very fluid. Uh, it's all very one motion. He comes every pitch seems to come over the top. He doesn't have a different arm slot for different pitches. Or if he does, he'll throw every pitch out of the other arm slot as well instead of just tipping off by saying when he drops three quarters, throwing a slider. Uh, but all three of his pitches are at this point at least average, and that changeup has come a long way. The only thing that worried me a little bit was he was kind of telling it a little bit. He was kind of slowing down the arm. But if I'm not mistaken, this is the first year that he's actually like featured that changeup. So just to see the amount of depth that he's getting on it and the amount of fade that was coming in right off the bat, just at, what, 19, 20 years old, not really throwing it to, to older guys that often, I am very excited to see him. He's a guy that... uh I, I think are, are, has a very very bright future. I mean, there's such a such a wealth of talent at now Double A AA and Triple A. The Triple A rotation is insane. So assuming that, assuming that next year's Braves starting rotation, because listen, they're going to play the service time game too. So assuming that the starting rotation next year is Tehran, Fultonevich, Newcomb, Gosman, and Soroka, where does that leave Wright, Wentz, Allard, Freed? Wilson, Muller, Anderson. I mean, that's seven guys for those top two levels of the minors. And the Braves, or a double-A has shown a willingness to, if you feel, if you show you're ready, he'll be aggressive with you. So, you know, that's a lot of spots to fill. To fill. And it, it, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if they say, you know what, I think this guy might be able to benefit from the disruption in the schedule to pitch out of the bullpen and spot start, as opposed to someone like Wilson and and Anderson and Muller, which they'd say, no, they need the innings. Allard needs the innings. Um, Tukey needs the innings. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. That's a weapon. That's a weapon that you have that shouldn't toil at AAA just to build innings. I hope that's what they do, anyways. The other there's got to be some type of massive trade involving all these prospects. I mean, at a certain point, I mean, you can only really keep a guy like Freed down in the minors for so long before his value starts to tank a little bit. Cause then he's just beating up on younger guys, you know, yeah, and, he's not getting any better. Right. Exactly. And if you've got a glaring hole somewhere else, I mean, you hate to lose a Freed, but if you can fill some other hole by, by trading him, I mean, you've seen some of the trades in Anthopolis has made before. Like he goes big. He is not afraid yeah. to go big and he's got a ton of assets. So, I don't know. As it pertains to Anderson, I, I can't say that he's like quite to that untouchable status because that's a that's a really tough tier to get into. But he's he's starting to get there. And, and as oh, he's other, untouchable. He's untouchable. So you would you would not trade him for anything? I mean, not anything, but anything with the reason. Fuck no. If I'm trading any pitchers, I would trade Freed. I would trade Gahara. I didn't mention him. Uh, and 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 it would be hard for me to trade them too. I'm I'm at the point now where unless you're getting back a young, controllable, dynamic offensive piece, which do they really need that? Always I mean, need they, more the, offense. The offense you always need it. You'll always take it. But you know, who are we talking about here? Who's on the market, you know, that would warrant that sort of movement? And I definitely wouldn't want to trade them for a reliever, because at their worst they could be a good reliever. Based on based on having you know most of them having three to four pitches that that are pretty good, so you got to do something. You got to have spots for them on for them all. So you know what do you guys say? Someone's got to take the developmental hit and go to the bullpen. 
I think that there's Someone's definitely... Someone's got to pull a Papelbon. I think there's more than a few that are in that contention because there's a few of them that have been that have already been in the bullpen and have shown that they could do it. And there's some guys who I think might have higher upside as a starter. Like, I fully expect Tukey to be a starter long-term. Yeah, but I don't want them to mess with Tukey in the bullpen. I don't either. Not after September. I don't either. But let me say to this point, if you're Anthopolis and you're deciding between... Let's say let's say you're deciding between uh, Gohara in the bullpen and Max Freed in the bullpen. Gohara has better stuff than Max. He just does. He's got more arm talent. Uh, this year's kind of a wash year, but he started kind of putting it together a little bit towards the end there once he started getting a little bit of the velocity back. But Max is a guy who is more game feel over instant stuff. So I think that has to come into account too. Who are guys that can come in and that right away be throwing strikes that don't need to get into a set rhythm before they start really dialing in? Guys like Max, guys like Colby, guys like Julio. It's the same reason why I don't think Julio would do well in the bullpen. These are guys that have to see how it goes in the first inning to see what their opponent is is looking for and what they're chasing before they can really dial in their stuff. Guys like Wilson and Tukey and, I mean, even Anderson to a degree now and Kyle Wright, these are guys that are just coming straight out and throwing fastballs, straight out throwing strikes and attacking hitters. Fulte this year, that's been the biggest difference in Fulte. He's come right out and attacked hitters, and he hasn't been as predictable. I think the number one thing, though, that that all these, these uber prospects performing the way they are, I think it puts every single person that is in the Atlanta rotation right now, I think it puts them all on notice. Nobody's, oh, yeah. nobody's job is safe, and maybe especially Sean Newcomb, who he's getting, you can tell that he's worn down the second half of the year. His underlying numbers are, are pretty similar. They're really, really close to what they were the first half of the year. There is a couple glaring differences though. He's throwing his change up 4% less and his slider 3, 3% more, which by the way, he's giving up a ton more home runs because of it. And the more glaring number is the hard contact rate. The first half of the season, he was sitting around 30%. The second half, he's all he's almost at 46. He's like 45.8% hard contact rate. And that is very telling of a guy that just doesn't quite have the juice in his lower body at this point in the season. If that's going to be a theme with Newcomb, though, you don't have a lot of time with the baby gloves in this organization the way it is now. This isn't like there wasn't anything behind him. Sean's got to be on top of his game. That's a good point. I think I think he's going through like his first. It wouldn't surprise me if he's a little tired, and uh, you know that's kind of I think to be expected when you're going through that. As long as he works hard, he'll be all right. I, his changeup is nasty, and it was one of the nastiest changeups I've ever seen in person. It is, and I don't like that he's not throwing it. And for anybody that thinks that four percent is not a lot. In the scope of the amount of pitches that you throw over the course of a season, that is a huge drop in the amount of the amount that you use that pitch. For for I all saw him of- throw. Hold on, real quick. I went to I went to the game where it was him versus Snell, mm-hmm. and it was the one zero Ronald Acuna game. Yeah, that was back May eighth. I um I sat behind a home plate for both of them. I swear he probably at one time threw six or seven changeups in a row to those guys. It was unbelievable. He did you don't see things like that in the minor leagues. He did the same thing change versus Colorado after changeup. Colorado this year. That's where he first really started breaking it out, and that's that game yeah. that he that he just flat out dominated, and he used it the whole first half. That was his best off speed pitch. It wasn't the curveball, the big looping hammer. It was the changeup. And then you get into the second half for for reference's sake, for anybody that thinks four percent's not a lot. Four percent is the difference in Kevin Gosman with the Orioles this year. 
and Kevin Gosman with the Orioles in preceding years. His splitter had gone up 4%, and it had led to Kevin Gosman giving up more runs than he'd ever given up before, giving up more homers than he'd given up before. Because in the scope of things, it's not just 4% less that you're throwing that pitch. It's 4% more that you're throwing a worse pitch. That's some just, great. That's some eighty grade analysis right there. <laughs> I think that the biggest thing with with Nuke, I mean, even you know, you you've got the numbers you can look at for for how he's changing his his arsenal and and what he's leaning on in his repertoire more than more than others. But he's reaching a career high in innings, and Fulty's get, getting to a career high in innings, and you're you're seeing a, a lot of these young guys start to get to the point where they might just be kind of gassed overall. And it might be a similar thing with Ozzy. Like most of these guys, the, the minor league seasons, they stop in in early September or mid-September if they're lucky enough to make it to the playoffs. So like some of these guys, they might just kind of be running ragged. And I think Newcomb, where, I mean, he's built like a horse physically, but uh, mentally he's built like a, uh, like a ferret or something. <laughs> it getting it a, another another tiny creature. You, like like you a know. chihuahua. Yeah, he's built it, mentally. He, Sean Newcomb is built like a chihuahua. So damn, that's that's a hot tamale take right there. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I got to I got to meet Sean Newcomb and I shook his hand and you'd figure for for a dude that was like built physically like a like a horse or or some other big animal like a, a, a caribou or something. That, yeah, and I, I just expected like a firm manly handshake and shook my hand like a a girl i'm like (laughs) well hey you know there are girl rock climbers and crossfitters that probably have like a meaty thick grip so did he shake your hand was it very flaccid he did did not shake my hand like a like a female rock climber with a strong grip i'll just i'll just put it that way was his was his hand soft was it like soft and lumpy no but i'd say johan camargo has very soft hands I, i did get to shake his hand that's because he's just a he's just he's just a uh, he he's just a metrosexual OG. He's just a stud. Guy. He's he's the hottest fucking guy on the team. I think he has dreamy eyes. That's no joke. Everything about him. He's I got the best hair. hair. He's got the he's best got eighty grade hair game. One hundred percent. And uh, we're going to talk about Camargo a little bit. But I got to ask: Have you heard? Uh, have you seen who the Braves are taking to the AFL this year? Uh, yes, it's uh, it's a whole lot of nothing. Um, Christian Pache, and David. Yeah, other than Pache, um, it's uh, who, who it's Braxton Davidson, Ditter. Um, it wasn't Weigel. My I, boy, I Weigel would be the my boy Izzy Wilson. Yeah, Izzy Wilson, um, and Pache. Pache, yeah. I saw that. It's a little bit underwhelming, especially compared to last year when you got Acuna, Riley, and Austin Jackson. And hell, even Jared James looked good out there in, in Arizona last year. So, and Freed was dominant. Freed put himself on the map. So, it's a little bit different this year for the Braves. Um, I think the Ditter the Ditter choice is interesting because this is a guy who, defensively, I think he plays a pretty good shortstop. He's got a real strong arm, fast as hell. He's eighty grade speed. Uh, just can't hit to save his life, and can't get on base. So, uh, you know, a long swing. I feel like if you have 20 power, that's, you know, minimum. He's not one of those small guys that that I would put my money on, you know, starts hitting for power because he's got a really long swing now. I don't like my leadoff hitter striking out, you know, at, at, at the rate that he strikes out at. So He's got a little bonafide. But he's an interesting him. prospect. 
He he might be AA's next Bonifacio, where he can come in. He's played a lot of outfield this year too, uh, shortstop, second base as well. He's good. Yeah, but Bon Bonifacio could hit, man. People give him some shit because they saw like the old Bonifacio, but when he came up, he I mean he could hit. He had a couple really good years. Bit. His well, he had that one year with the Cubs where I think he hit like two eighty three, but then he had like, like probably like fourteen homers too, and stole a bunch of bags. He I think he had a really yeah. good year with the Marlins one year too. Just uh, an odd career, but we we of course got bad Bonnie uh, that kept being run out in the field, which is why there's a lot of hate for Bonifacio here. Uh, were you yeah, surprised? Man, what, yeah. Were you surprised about Braxton Davidson? Like, are they actually planning on using him, or is this more the point of all right, you're old now, you have to do something, just get somebody to give us something for you? Uh, maybe you know they probably have to put him on the forty man soon because he right he's twenty one so. Yeah. He was a first round pick a couple years ago. It, it's it's crazy to think that he's only twenty one. So he's I think he's he's still worth saving, quite frankly. The power's legit. There's just something in his swing that if if he's not if it's not a mistake, it's just he his reaction time, I think it is. It's it's he's reacting to the pitch way too late and the and the bat speed's not quick enough. And that's why you see like more strikeouts than the batting average. Um, you know, he's a first base only guy. He really already doesn't hold any value. I think best case scenario, he goes out and wins the Arizona Fall League MVP. People still aren't gonna, you know, line up for his services. You know, there's three years of track record. Unless she, sh- unless there's some viable improvement in in pitch recognition and and swing path, but you know, he's an interesting choice. I think that they want him to salvage something, um, and maybe showcase himself for like a, a Rule Five draft. But I mean, it's just I. There's no way he even sniffs the 40-man roster at 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 this point. I don't think. I mean, he reminds me of Adam Brett Walker. Uh, yeah, if you remember totally. him, that that's kind of he had the same type of hype as a guy who, if he gets a hold of it, has just mammoth power. And you'll see, you saw it a few times this year where Braxton went on these just massive home run binges, and then he'll go like over fifteen with ten strikeouts. It's just what he is. And Doc, I think you said something, didn't he set a strikeout record this year? Uh, yeah, I I think that the final tally was 204, which is a Florida State League record. So, uh, and I think he hit 170. So he he was basically like, if he could, if you weighed 204 and you got down to 170, man, people would be thinking, dude, you're the fucking boss. What did you? What are your secrets? You know, I, that's I how just, crazy that number is. I mean, it's it's nuts. How I mean, let's see, what did he have here? He had like a 654. Or 644 OPS with a 171 batting average, 213 strikeouts. I, I undersold it. So I think you can move from <laughs> writing that record in 10 to writing it in some type of permanent marker. That's, uh, you got to try. And it's, it's weird because he was, his approach at the plate, like elite eye at the plate. That was the thing about him when he came, got drafted out of high school. And there just hasn't really been any of that. And, and so I don't know. I, I have understood or been able to kind of make a case for why nearly every single move that has been made in the Anthopolis era was 
at least understandable, even if I didn't necessarily agree with it. This is one that I'm just scratching my head, Joe, and I just I don't get that. Well, here's I'll, the thing. The, the Arizona Fall League is not an all-star league. We like to think it is, but it's not an all-star league. As far as development goes, William Contreras is gassed. Uh, Waters isn't ready. I think he showed that in the FSL. Um, and so there's no hitters at the upper level of the minors. You're not sending these pitchers to go out there and throw because now you got them up in September throwing. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's just, well, we got to send somebody. So maybe, maybe this guy will learn a thing or two out there in Arizona. He'll be around different coaching and uh, be around different hitters from different organizations. So it's, it's more of a, it's more of a top prospect showcase slash you're on the 40 man and maybe someone's going to take you or maybe this is your last chance to impress us slash I'm returning from injury slash well the peep our best hitters are too fucking young to send and we don't have any pitchers so let's just send these guys and that's okay that's there's a lot of guys out there like that you know I don't want it to seem like we're just killing Braxton because uh, it sounds like it, and frankly, he kind of there, there's a lot of expectation that was not met uh, if this is how it turns out for him. But there's a few other guys in this organization. We're always talking about the guys that are taking colossal steps forward and, and just jumping every bar and setting new ones. There's a few guys though that are that have been very disappointing. Uh, Alex Jackson is one now. He turned it around at the end of the year. Quite frankly, there were uh, when we talked to Patrick Weigel, uh, he enjoys Alex Jackson. He likes having him behind the plate. Uh, when we talked to uh, Bruce Zimmerman, he enjoyed throwing to Alex Jackson. Apparently, Alex's game calling has come a long way uh, in the span of a couple years. But there was a point during the season, like right right at the trade deadline, where I was hearing that he was no longer even considered a prospect. For, for most people, right? As he, you know, he was really, really struggling for nearly all the season. And he, he was another weird one where he his average was not good. All he was hitting was extra base hits, which was nice, but he wasn't making enough contact for it to actually really matter, if that makes any sense. And then Travis Demerit, of course, can run into, at any point in time, Travis Demerit can bomb on 450 feet. But like Braxton and like Alex Jackson, it comes with a lot of strikeouts. Oh yeah, that guy's got a long swing. Let me let me let you guys in on the secret of prospects, right? This is this is front office talk. We like top thirty list. You know, we like saying, "Hey, we got this team's twenty fifth best prospect," or "Yay or boo," or "We got this team's number one prospect list." Here's how front offices tend to view it. There's these handful of guys we really, really like that are game changers. There's this other handful of guys which are going to play in the majors, we think, but we're a little light on their assets. Then everybody else is signed to a contract to play catch with those other people. That's it. And, and, and if anything turns out and they turn into anything and they develop, hey, cool, we caught lightning in a bottle, great job, scout. But for the most part, it's it's we need somebody for the people that we really like and sort of like to have enough people to play baseball with. So here's a contract. That's how they view it. Is that how you viewed Alex Jackson? 
I kind of view him as I think he's, you know, I told you guys he was like Evan Gaddis with curly hair last time I came here. So, you know, I think Evan Gaddis has a has a a niche he can fit into, but I don't know if that's everyday regular behind the plate. I don't know if he'll hit enough. Um, you know, but those guys come and go. Those those guys on the bottom five of the forty man, you know, they they float around the majors for a long time and 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 get jobs. So you know, I, but I don't think he's going to be an impact. He's not an impact guy. I don't see it. I hope he is because he's cool as hell, but I don't see it. It's weird how much Jackson's overall profile has inverted. The bat was the carrying tool, and then they immediately moved him off a of catcher. And now it sounds like he's he's really honed the defensive skills, but he, he lost his ability to hit. So, well, he's got enough. He I don't think he could ever hit. It was it was that raw power he had, and and I think he has enough raw power and enough defensive skills to be a serviceable backup because you always want you not everybody can have a backup that's Tyler Flowers or when he's catching have Kurt Suzuki as their backup. You know, most of these guys. You know, they're there for, you know, to catch one pitcher, and if you get a cookie, don't miss it. And I think Alex Jackson can do that. You know, I think he, I think he can be a, a, a viable backup catcher. And there's but value in that. I don't see that. him playing every day. There's value in that. That's, that's not to be overlooked, especially with the catcher market. I mean, you mentioned Flowers and Suzuki, and really when you look at what those two put together, it seems, oh, well, you've got a tandem, you don't really have a starter. What the Braves get out of their catching duo is like top five. The and see, they brought flowers back. They brought flowers back and with a 2020 option. So that should tell you really deep down what the organization thinks about Alex Jackson's ability to catch major league pitching and hit major league pitching. Or that they're going to go after his minimum. We're talking two years before they would give him a, a trusted role as a backup catcher because they at least want to wait and see what he does next year before saying, oh, Tyler, we'll save our money and we, we got Ajax. You know, I, that's, I think it's telling that they brought flowers back. So, you know, Jackson's, Jackson's not ready and that's okay. You know, we get so used to these guys at 21 years old and 20 years old with the way that everybody else is progressing and thinking it's normal. It's really not normal. And catcher is abnormal. Catcher is a position all of all on its own, like it's its own separate minefield where it takes a lot. It's, this is going to sound bad to say, but it's the easiest position if you are if you are have a young son and you want him to get in the majors or he wants to get in the majors, teach him to catch because it is one of the few positions on the field where you can be a one-dimensional player and still make a major league roster, but it is exceptionally hard to, I don't, I guess excel maybe is not the, quite the right word, but to, to actually continue your career because it, it's really hard to, to catch every day, turn around and hit, and still hit decently enough to where they want to keep you in a lineup every day, and still to be able to do all that, and still do it for more than you know six or seven years. Catchers take a beating, man. They have that that gears on for a reason, and I can tell you from experience, it does not protect a whole lot, man. You get caught in the chest with a foul ball like that, that little dinky padding's not doing a whole lot. Those aches add up. All right, so we have talked about the prospects ad nauseum, and I did it to get to this point. This is going to be my favorite part of the show where me and Jason get to sit back, and you guys are probably going to get very, very pissed off at me. Uh, Quite frankly, I don't care 
This needs to be said. This is our time to shine. Jason, let's talk about Johan Camargo and what an uber stud he is. Wait a second. Why would people be mad about Johan Camargo? I thought they were calling him Camargoat. Oh, they are, but it's because of what I'm going to say next. And that's okay. because everybody out there, and there are hundreds of you, that keep trying to say that Camargo is a super utility and that he needs to be our Ben Zobrist. Y'all can bite me because if you are going to bench anybody, it's everybody's golden boy, Dansby, who, by the way, he's picked it up here at the end of the season. Congrats to him. Uh, but let me just tell you guys, three weeks of good play does not erase four months of bad play. And when you're comparing the two side by side, I know one was taken number one overall, and I know one has never broken a top 50 list. Guess what, folks? Johan effing Camargo is the better player. I don't want to hear about upside because to this point, you've seen upside. And guess what you've seen? You've seen Camargo have a ton more power than anybody expected. You've seen him have a stronger arm than just about anybody else in the league. You've seen him continue to improve. That's my point. And Jason, we talked about this after the show last time, and I was mad because we didn't have it on air. So let's dig into this. Let's see how many people can can get mad at me at this. Doc's already the favorite, so I'm just going to go ahead and go full heel. <laughs> well, that's crazy. I mean, like, okay, so I hear about the upside of Dansby, but we're talking like uh, a ceiling of 275, maybe 15 to 17 home runs. Uh, he's not going to steal a lot of bases. Defensively, he's going to play solid. And I get it. You know, he was taking one-one, but he wasn't the best player in that in that in that draft. He kind of benefited from a hot college World Series, and it, he looks like he's a marketable guy. Uh, you know, so he's really that golden boy tag is unfair to him. He's not Chipper Jones. He ain't gonna be Chipper Jones. It it ain't even, it ain't close. So when you look at Camargo, I mean Camargo's already reached Dansby's ceiling, and Camargo pretty much just has untapped athleticism, and he's a switch hitter. I know for me, when I go back to you know if someone were to ever ask me, how did you know? Did you have training to do what you do with this baseball stuff, evaluating these players? Not formally. So how do you, you know, how can we take your word for it? Well, you can't. You got to trust me. Well, how do you trust yourself? How do you know that you're you're qualified to do this? Here's how I knew, right? So like a lot of you guys a couple years ago, I'd read fan graphs, I'd read Pipeline, I'd read all these prospect sites and look at these lists. Camargo was never really listed on one, but he was always a middle infielder that I kept hearing about. And the knock on him was that he couldn't hit. But I believe he reached AAA at 21 or 22, which is crazy when you think about the fact that he didn't get much publicity for even doing that. But it was one of those glove-first shortstops. So for me, the, the profile was already defensive plus. If he hits, he can be an everyday regular. But the, you know, the reports, I don't want to say the scouts, the writers – uh, we're pretty much poo-pooing any idea that he would ever hit enough to be an everyday regular at shortstop. He was he, Dansby was never considered a good enough defensive shortstop to be in the same argument as Camargo. 
but Dansby was the one one Dansby was, you know, the, the top prospect, top five prospect in the game. And Dansby was the guy that, Hey, if he hits, if he, if he hits 300 with 18 home runs, man, we're getting an all-star shortstop. And I think you would. Problem is Dansby's got to come a long way to, to get to that number. In the meantime, I saw Camargo in spring training a couple years ago. I wasn't working for anybody. I didn't even know I wanted to do this baseball stuff. And I remember reading on fan graphs, they had given him a 20 power grade. Now, whether they still believed that or that was what his amateur was, doesn't matter. That's what they had currently published. I wasn't expecting to see what I saw sitting behind uh, the on-deck circle when this guy walked up. I mean, well, he's six two, a solid two two hundred, and if you know this dude just oozes athleticism. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, he's a pretty big guy to be a non-hitting defensive first shortstop. His first at bat, I can't remember who it was against, but he smoked a double to the right center field gap. And the way the ball came off his bat, you very rarely hear that in the minor leagues, unless it's someone special like a like a Bichette or Vlad or even Acuna. And I thought to myself, just the, just as strong as his wrists were and as loose as he looked at the plate and as athletic as he was, I said to myself, that's no 20-grade power. That guy's going to hit 20 home runs if he gets a chance to play every day. And um, I just kind of filed that away because no one – I didn't even have a Twitter. No one cared, in my opinion. But to me, that's, that's, you know, that's how I know that I'm on to something. Because I think you're starting to see when Carmar- Camargo has gotten a chance to play, if, if, if he hadn't have been hurt and if they hadn't have kept him down in, the, in AAA for so long after he was healthy and forced us to deal with this Jose Bautista bullshit, he'd already be at 20 home runs. And he's getting better as the season goes along. He doesn't miss the fastball, and, uh, and it's just that easy, loose swing. So for me, when we talk about Dansby versus Camargo – the X factor in all of this is one of two things. It's whether or not the Braves go out and spend money on a third baseman, which I don't think they will unless it's a one-year pillow contract, or Austin Riley starts off the first two months as hot as he did the first two months of this year. Then to me, there's no conversation. That's the X factor. Camargo goes to shortstop. Ansby goes to the bench. Because at the end of the day, offense is what Offense is what you put in the lineup. You can't afford to have your pitcher hitting and a guy hitting 200, swinging at every fucking slider outside. Thank you. So, so you don't put you don't put super utility. What's he, who's he? Albie's does Albie's need a day off every week? And he ain't going to play first. He's never and played you got outfield? enough outfielders. He's never played you don't outfield. Want Acuna, yeah, and he doesn't play outfield. You don't want to you don't want to give Acuna a day off. You don't want to stick him in. You know, it, it, how many days off do, does Marcakis need? So it doesn't make any sense this, this, that he would be our Marwin Gonzalez because the team isn't structured that way. Everyone has their set position, and we're not the Cubs where everyone plays. I mean, remember when Javi Baez was playing second, short, left field, center field, third base, first base? And he'd play every day playing at one of those positions. The Braves aren't set up like that. And so Camargo wouldn't necessarily fill that spot. So to me... Dansby basically has to the rest of September, you know, to to because he's not Anthopolis's guy, he's inherited to make an impression 
And if if they don't make the splash because they think Riley is the guy and they don't want to block his development, then he has until Austin Riley hits his way to Atlanta to prove that he's better than Camargo because so far he hasn't, and it's not even close. Doc? And same. <laughs> Doc? Very well said. The Camargo monologues. That's what you should fucking nickname this. <laughs> it's just the Camargo love fest. And it's, I, I heard about Camargo probably about a year before everybody else did. I still wasn't on him as early as you were. I just knew from a, from a buddy of mine who does replay talking about man, keep an eye on this kid. He keeps, he's, and this was with, uh, this is when Ozzy was in AAA. This is when Dansby was still there for a little bit. Uh, and somebody else was there with him. I can't remember who the third was, but it was Camargo that he kept going to. He's like, Ozzy has the it factor, but Camargo does too, and Camargo is the guy that is sparking everything. Camargo is more consistent than Ozzy, uh, and that before Acuna moved to leadoff and started torching the entire world, he was the more consistent of the three. That That's the, that's another part that, that doesn't get talked about enough. It's not just the fact that Camargo is improving. It's not just the fact that he's like this year, you could say the last year was a fluke with the super high BABIP, sure. So what did he do this year? He comes in and he completely altered the way that he approaches the game. He's still striking out at the same clip, basically, right around 20%. Only he's upped his walk rate to about 11 or 12%. He's hitting for more power. He's adjusted his swing. He still has easy, fluid motion, which is key when you're talking about a hitter's development, about whether a guy will continue to hit or whether he can adjust. And that, to me, is the key difference because... Dansby is smooth, very smooth in the field. He's already, this year, he's been a far better defender than I ever expected. I watched him at Vanderbilt, uh, and he got moved off of shortstop for uh, uh, Conti, Victor Conti. Uh, he got bumped, and then the Braves took him, and they moved him to shortstop instead of uh, instead of Ozzy, and they swapped them around. Dansby's a guy who's very smooth. He uh, This year, he's done a great job with his first step. Dansby has Camargo beat in the first step department. Uh, he's very, very good at that. But with defensive positioning the way it is now, the Astros seem A-OK with Carlos Correa playing shortstop. The Dodgers have no plans on moving Corey Seager off of shortstop. It's OK now with the way that the way that these guys know tendencies and where players tend to hit the ball. You can take you can kind of mitigate a guy with a little bit less range. And Camargo, he's not he's not nearly as fast. But if I hear one more person tell me that shortstop has to be fast. I'm going to scream because... Bro, Cal Ripken wasn't fast. I mean, who would you say are the three best defensive shortstops in the game right now? Right now? Right now. Uh, probably, uh, you know, these the, the people who follow, like, fucking war and defensive metrics are going to flame me. But uh, my gut tells me uh, Lindor, um, probably Hechevarria, and... Uh, Angelson? I don't know. Yeah, Simmons, man, I forgot about Simmons, dude. I was gonna say Simba. I was gonna say Brandon Crawford. I should be. You guys should rebuke the shit out of me for forgetting about Simba. How dare I? Never, never. How dare I, sir? What's wrong with you? (laughs) But I, I would agree. I would say Simba. I'd say Lindor, and then I would probably say Brandon Crawford over Echeverria. Although I think that that works for me. I I don't mind that. I think you can make an easy case though for Echeverria or or Crawford. Echeverria gets dinged on range, but. He's super smooth as well. Didi Gregorius is good too, but the key factor in all that is the only one of those guys who is fast by sprint speed metrics is Lindor, and he's not a burner. Angleton is one of the slowest shortstops. The slowest, or like the second or third slowest, 
is Brandon Crawford, who actually beat out Angleton, falsely of course, but still technically won a gold glove. Speed has very, very little to do with defensive skill. Marcakis is slow as dirt. He's always been slow as dirt, but he was a good defender. He's always been a good defender. Jason Hayward, not blinding fast, but takes really good routes. Um, he's quicker than you think, but he takes really good routes. He's never been Juan Pierre, horrible defender, one of the fastest guys in baseball. That's This is one of those things that keeps getting brought up, and I don't think people really understand what they're talking about. Playing defense is more about instinct than it is actual speed. I mean, for God's sake, Johnny Peralta played shortstop for like 12 years. That's true, man. Johnny Peralta. Case club. Play it. When he's already a better shortstop than Carlos Correa defensively, and Carlos Correa seems to be doing just fine. When you can hit... Johnny, like, per- Johnny Peralta is like... He's like a Bartolo... He's the Bartolo Colonna shortstop. Right. He just kept getting bigger. I mean, Alednes Diaz has always been considered... Uh, it, an above average defensive shortstop, not not a great defensive shortstop, but he was considered an above average guy. Paul DeYoung, he plays shortstop fairly well. He slows dirt too. It's just the way it is, man. You can make up for that pretty easily, but you can't make up for offense. And the difference is that between what, the these two, guys really love Ray Patrick Ditter. Then is that what this is coming from? Because right. he's fast as shit and he right. plays shortstop. You just look at speed. I mean, Mauricio was Mauricio Dubon going to end up being the best shortstop in the league? No. It's just the way it is. When you talk about offensively, the gap between those two offensively is much bigger than the gap between them defensively. So oh, yeah. when you look at them and you look at their swing, Dansby has 14 homers this year. Good job for Dansby. Uh, 14 or 15 now. Uh, he's closing in on Blauser's record for, for homers for a shortstop that Angleton tied. But Dansby is not fluid at the plate. He has a couple good swings, and you can show me his 14 home runs, and I'll say that's a fluid swing on that particular one, but you don't judge somebody's skill level on one swing of the bat. You take a look at it overall, and Dansby is very mechanical at the plate. Camargo is very Question smooth. for you. Go ahead. How many of Dansby's home runs were to right center field? Um, one that I can remember. He might have hit more than that. I only remember one, and it was uh, – it was against the Phillies. Uh, I can't remember who it was off, but most of them are I fastball. See him, up and I in. see him turning on hanging sliders, man. He should be doing that. He's a professional baseball player. His job is to turn on hanging slide pieces. Right, and that's the thing. If you look at Dansby's spray chart where he hits the ball hardest, it's up and in. Obviously, for a guy with quick hands, that's where it's going to be. The problem is he's not fluid enough in his base and in his hips when he's swinging to adjust to the outside pitch. That's why a guy. That's why certain guys can foul off. A thousand pitches in that bat, like Mike Trout. The reason Mike Trout uh, fouls off a thousand pitches, and the reason why Bryce Harper doesn't foul off the same amount, is because Trout is smoother in the hips than Bryce Harper. Doesn't mean that Bryce Harper's a bad player. Doesn't mean that Bryce Harper doesn't have power and can't run into him. Obviously, Bryce Harper is an amazing player. But the difference between them, when you watch the two side by side, is obvious. So get the get the draft status and the prospect ranking out of your minds when you're comparing the two players and just look at who's better for the team i know dancy's from marietta he's a good kid he's a good looking guy i'll be the first to admit he's got great hair i love it but who's gonna help me win games more that's all i care about i don't know man it's just it's just it seems weird i know he's won one and people took way out of context with the fact that he was compared to Derek cheater we talked to the guys that called that put that comp on him and they didn't want to do it and they weren't talking about on field skill 
they were talking about Dansby in the clubhouse and in the locker room. And again, this just makes me seem like the biggest Dansby hater in the world. If that's what it takes to counterbalance everything else, so be it. I think if you tell me that Dansby Swanson is a utility guy or that Dansby is our super utility and I don't have to worry about him taking Camargo's spot or Camargo getting underused because of Dansby, I'll love Dansby. I love having that off the bench. If you ask me who I think is a better bet to sustain this there, who's who's a better bet to be better over the course of next season, Dansby or Charlie Culberson, I'm going to say Dansby. I know Charlie was good this year. I don't think Charlie continues it. I think that's where Dansby ultimately fits. I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased, but Doc, Dansby's your guy. You tell me. Well, I I want to believe in Dansby. You know what I mean? Because I during this rebuild, we were sold prospects, prospects, prospects. And we got this yeah, this team's number one. We got that team's number four. You know, and th- this isn't Dansby wasn't just another team's number one. He was fourth ranked overall by pipeline and you know, people people dropping Jeter comps on him. So you always want that that guy to be like the the face of the franchise you know and then he wasn't that guy but you still pull for him because some of the the stuff that happened him going on billboards and doing commercials when he had like 13 plate appearances or something like that it was it was too much and as it pertains to Dansby versus Camargo Camargo would as far as those lists go because for a lot of people like Jason you go to 115 games a year so many people 140, even, yeah. even even better. So you're seeing, you've got eyes on these guys. You've got your own type of lists. But for 99% of the people, 99.9% of these people that are reading them, they're not seeing any of these guys. They're not even watching on, on uh, MILB TV. So free, uh, free publicity there. But, <laughs> you know, Camargo was like he wasn't on any of these lists. Even when the the system sucked, he topped out at like number nineteen. So it almost seems incredible to have this guy who was not supposed to be anything be better than the guy who was supposed to, who was getting comp to a Hall of Famer. So I, I, that's baseball, man. That's the beauty of baseball. Yeah, and, the beauty and, of baseball. In top hundred prospect lists, you said you said yourself. I mean, a lot of those lists are are for clicks and for stirring bait, baby. baby. Yeah, here's and, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I you you hit on a really good point here about expectation. The expectation of Dansby to meet even a fraction of those comps and not only when he falls short our expectation to say, well, no way, he's not going to do it because we would have at least seen signs of it, flashes of it. And we haven't seen that at all, right? So with that expectation that's going to come like some hardship when that bus label gets on you. And, and, and the hesitancy to want to do that or the expectation to say, if you don't meet this lofty standard, you're a bust. And I think it goes both ways. So you got people not wanting to give up on him because of the expectations. And you got people willing to give up on him so quick because of the expectations. When we talk about Camargo, like you said, Pipeline was shitting on him, giving him a 19, right? I saw Fangraphs give him a 20 power. Everybody said he was utility till I saw him live. And I thought, this is crazy. This dude can play. Um, but the expectation of last season was a fluke, you know, last season's not sustainable. Um, you know, the, the lowered expectations means it's okay to take his career and make him a utility guy, you know? So, uh, you know, for me, I think where I want to bridge that gap 
is if I go to these, you know, if I'm going to enough games and if I'm seeing enough of these guys where one site is just ranking them because they don't have nothing better to do and they don't know anybody else in the system, I can either provide fresh perspective on who this player is, how you get them out, what they need to improve on, versus, hey, I've seen this guy. I don't understand why he's not hitting better than he should, but this guy is an athlete and always bet on the athlete. And I think these are the things that that you don't have, right? You don't have access to. So you're forced to consume the information from somebody who hasn't seen a lot of these players, in a, you know, depending on where you're going, or who is going to give them the benefit of the doubt because of their signing bonus or their draft stature versus the guy who was a no-name. Acuna was a no name when he signed for a hundred K. He wasn't even he didn't even get seven figures. The top ten guys, they all get seven figures. He didn't even get a high six figures. Hundred K. So it comes a time when it's like, all right, just because the expectations were low on this guy, then we brought him in and we didn't have to pay him much. At the same point, that guy needs to be represented in a way that shows kind of what value he has and the, the high draft pick, if he's not cutting it, you need to get that information too, instead of just the soft, he's a top five prospect, you know, there's no warts here. Here's the nice shiny product. So it's, it's really hard for, I think for you guys, cause everyone just focuses on those top guys and everything they say is pretty glowing, except when it comes to Vlad jr's defense, then, then it's, he doesn't deserve to be in the majors. We're going to shit all over that. Victor Robles, who still somehow yeah. is a 50 power on fan graphs, which yeah. I – now, if you want to call me a hater of somebody, call me a Victor Robles hater. I do not understand how in the world anybody watches Victor Robles and ever put him in the same stratosphere as Aloy Jimenez and Ronald Acuna and Vladimir Guerrero and Vlad Jr. I never – I have watched him play enough – I don't see him being an above-average major league regular, much less a superstar. That's another hot tamale, man. I kind of view Victor Robles as like a Glaber Torres, just a real high floor. No, I don't even think he's Glaber. I think Glaber has a a floor of being a power-hitting middle infielder, which – there's oh, a lot well, I of always thought Glaber could hit for power because if you've ever seen Glaber, like his his power outburst doesn't surprise me. I saw this dude in spring training. He's standing next to guys who are described as physically jacked. His ass and legs were bigger than – he had the biggest ass and legs of anybody out there. He's got big old forearms too, man. That's a big deal oh, when yeah. you talk about muscling in that you know, little league ballpark. There, dude, there are guys that I thought were super jacked in the minor leagues, and then when Glaber came down to Tampa for a rehab assignment and stood next to him, I was like, whoa, this guy is not as big as I thought he was. He is not as jacked. Glaber is huge. Yeah. So – but it's one of those things, too. Like, he's another guy. You you never heard that Glaber was going to hit for power. Why not? He has every ingredient, elite hit tool, elite eye, elite bat speed, extremely strong lower half. That's a recipe for power. And I think that's what that's what prospects live. That's, that's my main goal with all of this is so that you, if you want to look up who's this light-hitting teenage infielder, that, that the Braves just promoted to Gwinnett. Oh, man, you know, this site said he sucked. This site said he said It's just going to be a glove guy. Oh, Prospects Live. Oh, they're kind of saying he's got some talent here. They're kind of saying, okay, these guys are saying he's pretty tooled up. He's just a little raw. These guys are saying he's got, you know, 
excellent bat speed and is and is the the epitome of 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 what loose is at the plate okay now my goal is that the expectation when they do get up it isn't last season was a fluke oh this season's a fluke too you know we'll wait for the shoe to drop no you won't because the information you get will be up to date that's my sales pitch guys i mean you already had it sold i thought it was good anyway mike drops can someone post the barack obama mic drop gif <laughs> no don't do that no, we're talking we're, we're reaching out to georgia here does does trump have a mic drop gif we call it a gif man it's not a gif it's not peanut butter i call it a gif bro i do soft g like jeff g-e-o-f-f whatever okay <laughs> so we've gotten our camargo v dansby on um let's go to something slightly more palatable that won't raise my blood pressure and have anybody else throw things at me uh, i'm probably gonna have a few people retweeting me on this but uh you said you weren't in on a third baseman for atlanta and i want to get both of y'all's takes on this but jason you start off what if you are alex anthopoulos going into this offseason with a ton of money uh and not a lot of holes on the roster what's what's what does your dream offseason look like I think my dream off season would be to bring Kimbrel back. Uh, I think even market value, you know, the twenty million a year, Kenley Jansen type contract. He's the, he is the type of closer that you give that money to. There's only a handful of them. He's one of them. So I'd like to see Kimbrel back in a Braves uniform, and I think that would stabilize the rest of the bullpen. I think uh, going out and getting another veteran to help bridge that gap. Uh, bringing Brad Brock back, I think, would be a start. But uh, another elite type reliever to help shorten games. Because if you're if you're going to if you're going to battle with a young pitching staff, you almost have to do the Yankees and the and the Kansas City Royals 2015 World Series. Go through six, and then we have our our seventh, eighth, and ninth. Back when we had uh, O'Flaherty, uh, Kimberlin, Venters, just the way that, that that bullpen was able to lock leads down. That's what wins ball games. Being able to sprinkle in some some auxiliary pieces, you know, within that is is okay. Like a Winkler and a Mentor, even a Vizcaino. But in this in this day and age, you got to have the ninth and the eighth and the seventh inning absolutely locked down. So I would like to see them put a little bit of money in short term deals that will bring in elite relief pitcher options. I would leave Camargo at third base. I would say, Dansby, we believe in you. The shortstop job is yours. We want to see that power, but we want to see you start working the right field and, and, and getting that average up. And then you just wait and see who takes who takes the bull by the horns. I would also try and bring Marcakis back, even if I had to overpay for a one-year deal with an option for 2020. I think he would be... I don't think the market for Marcakis is going to be one where someone's going to give him three to four years. So I wouldn't even mind overpaying the average annual value on the salary to bring Marcakis back for another year as well. And I think you, you, you keep the, the core offense the same because the offense is not the problem. What about you, Doc? Uh, well, uh, let's see here. I, I would throw um, so much money at Bryce Harper, but I would put an opt-out after three years. I would try and structure it to where 
you could give him three years and 120 million dollars while Acuna's cheap and all these is cheap and you still got a couple and Camargo's cheap and a couple guys are going to be making um league minimum or just barely over it you're never supposed to give a third of your payroll to one guy but when you've got nine guys occupying like seven percent of your payroll you've got a lot of flexibility so um i don't think that i think that he's going to i think that harper would allow uh trout to go sign with the phillies reset the market and then harper would still be 29 at that point still young enough to capitalize whether it signs with the Braves or not i think that's what he's going to wind up doing anyway um but i think i was initially on the idea of getting kimbrell in but for the you're right about him being one of those guys that is actually worth that money. He's worth that money now, but you know, you, you give him five years by the time he's 35, you know, maybe he's not quite as, uh, quite as effective. So I don't know. I think, I think that what, what the Braves currently have with the, uh, with the bullpen is a, is a step in the right direction. I agree with bringing back Brock. Oh, God, what a mouthful. Um, <laughs> I think the fact that they got Darren O'Day in the Gossman deal uh, could wind up being a good, uh, good savvy move. You know what I mean? He's only around oh, for yeah. one more year. Um, and the reason why he's been on the DL all year, or not all year, but uh, for the rest of the year is because of hamstring. It's not like a, an elbow or anything like that. So his effectiveness should be back. And uh, just use some use some trades. Who knows if you wind up the Twins are running Byron Buxton through the ringer. He needs to get out of Minnesota. Interesting to try and look at if you could buy low on. Just don't think that he's been able to put uh, put it all together. Plan like you pass on Marquez and you pass on Harper, or he you know gets four hundred million dollars to go play for the Dodgers or whatever. That somebody like Buxton uh, would would maybe be worth looking into. I'd love to see what Kevin Seitzer could do with Byron Buxton. Yeah. Yeah. I would exactly. totally, I would totally throw freed plus maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Wentz freed and Wentz. I think the twins would have to take that, you know, I just don't trust him. I, uh, that I, I'm not real huge on Buxton, but I have my own planned out. And, uh, I think I don't, while I love Craig Kimbrell, uh, I would go with Adam Warren and then Adam Ottavino. I want the super slider Ooh, I in like here. It. I want the super slider. Yeah. Uh, and then I would sign Yasmani Grandal, have Tyler Flowers be your backup because Grandal is the number two pitch framer, and he is an awesome offensive catcher. And when he's batting left-handed, he'll mash and SunTrust. But more than that, I would deal from your pitching depth Probably, oh, Max Freed, Gohara, uh, and then whatever else it took without getting super crazy to the Rockies to go get Trevor Story so that they can bring Brendan Rodgers up. And then Camargo stays at third. Trevor Story slots in right in between um, Freeman and Marcakis in the batting lineup. So you got power lefty, power righty. Boom. Man, I didn't know we were doing MLB The Show 18 trades, man. I take mine back. I'm trading for Stanton, for Judge. <laughs> For Severino, Degrom, hey, I'm, and I'm, I'm sending them a package of, <laughs> involving Izzy Wilson, Ray Patrick Ditter, and uh, and Jeffrey Ramos. Hey, you got to tell me why they wouldn't trade Trevor Story when they got Brendan Rodgers ready. Man. I and mean, they, it, I would give them. Kyle I think. Wright. I think they. 
I think they trade Rodgers before they trade Story. Then sign me up for Brendan Rodgers. I'll take either I've one. Heard, I've only seen Rodgers in the future game, but I've heard that, yeah, they like all the tools. They're good. But he he's struggling against decent minor league pitching. Like he feasts on guys that will never get above his level. You know, the, 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 the dudes that he's supposed to be playing with 10 years from now or playing against 10 years from now, they're handling him pretty easily. So that's just kind of what I heard around the grapevine. And I mean, story is story's been their guy for three years. He might get more expensive, but the Rockies, man, they'll spend money. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. Cause they're going to have to, they have to resign. Uh, they have to resign Nolan Arenado. What about LeMayhew? Isn't he under contract? I don't know. We should get this. Isn't a Rockies blog? Who knows? <laughs> no, I, I care nothing for LeMayhew. But make a choice. No, no, between I'm just saying the Rockies story. would. You know, he's a Gold Glove winner. I think the Rock. I think he's under contract at second base, or I think he might. I don't know. I don't know his contract situation, but I don't know. You know Rogers isn't taking LeMayhew's spot. Is all I'm saying. He's going to have to play shortstop, which means Trevor Story either moves over to third, or they deal Story and they sign Arenado, which they should, quite frankly. But if they decide they're not going to throw giant money at Arenado, hey, I'll do that too. Just saying. Oh, I would rather have Arenado, man. I would too, by like 10,000%. Arenado is one of my favorite players to watch. And I would, rather, I would rather them give Arenado that money than Bryce Harper. And I love Bryce. Definitely. I but. think Arenado is one of the most complete players in all of baseball. And we are we have we have dived into fantasy land. That's how bad this game was today. <laughs> we <laughs> Listen. we went from hoping about the future to just let's just rewrite the laws of the universe right now. No, but seriously, Arenado's a brave baby. <laughs> but seriously, though, if you can't get him to trade, if you can't get him to trade, story sign Eduardo Escobar in the offseason as well, and then move Camargo go. to short oh, yeah, and have like Eduardo Escobar. I, double A is going to be interesting because I don't know what he's going to do, but I know. That, that teams came sniffing around the top 15 prospects in the system, and he would not budge. I know he also so, said no to th- at least three trades because they wanted Ian Anderson. Yeah, and, and I think he's learned a lot from trading Syndergaard. I think Good. that was he's learned <laughs> from that. So I think, he's, I think he'll still make trades, but the PR backlash in that is not worth, is not worth the winning. Right. Yeah. We 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 need to get this guy to win right now. At some point, the PR backlash is just too much, and you end up losing your job for it. So, I, I think he's learned from that mistake. I, I heard it was massive overpays if you wanted those guys. So, yeah, I just know he turned down three deals because the other the other team was uh, dead set on Ian Anderson, so he just walked away. But- you know, 2080, who I also write for, they have, I believe, Ian Anderson ranked 15th overall in the game. And these are scouts, former scouts. That's all they do. They're not, they don't care about your fantasy team at all. But they had Ian Anderson 15th. So, I mean, that goes to show you that you, you might disagree with it. You might hate him. Don't get mad at him. Take that as a compliment and say, damn, maybe, maybe this kid's better than we thought. That is a lot to consider, and I, I think I'm, I can see why they say that now. But we are running really low on time. So before we get out of here, one more time, if you guys are looking for some fun this sports season, you don't have to end just because baseball is getting out of there. You can make football season even more fun by betting on live sports betting or soccer if you're into that. 
hockey, it's about to start back up. Basketball never really stops. Whatever it is you like to do, go to mybookie.ag for live sports betting. Use our promo code BRAVES, and they will match your first deposit up to $1,000. Jason, thanks so much for coming on with us. It's always a blast having you on. Uh, I think we're going to make this a pretty a pretty recurring theme. Anytime that I need to just go off on somebody, I'm going to make sure that you're here so that some people have you to deflect to when you get inevitably I got your back, angry. bro. When you get I'll more angry than man. I am. Yes. That's what I like. Doc plays the neutral party. He plays Switzerland, so I get all the hate. No, you'll be you be Palpatine, and I'll be you be Vader. I'll be Palpatine. That's okay. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. So again, one more time for the people that made it to the end, make sure that you follow. Uh, what is it? Prospects Live is just at Prospects Live, right? On at Prospects Live, we're announcing the launch. We got some podcasts being recorded already, and uh, you know we're coming. Make sure you're all following them. It's going to be fantastic, everything that they do. And not just for fantasy. If you just want to catch awesome prospect videos and and watch guys that nobody else is getting videos of, make sure you're following all those guys over there. Doc, did I leave anybody out? No, I don't think so. I think we're all good. (laughs) All right, well, with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. It has been fun. We will catch you guys next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.